You will know if you've been here a little while that we preach here in series and we're in the middle of a series called Thinking About Money, having a biblical view of our relationship with money. Um, and you might say, Whoa, talking about money in the middle of a cost of living crisis is a really dangerous thing to do, but why not turn that around and say that talking about money in the middle of a cost of living crisis is exactly the right thing to do? Um, and we've been going through, we're going to talk this morning about radical generosity. And I'm hoping that a lot of what I talk about this morning will be really general and will apply to you um, wherever and whatever stage of church, uh, of life you're in. Uh, and if you're not part of our church, if you're not regularly part of our church, um, that there'll be some really useful things. But I'm also going to talk this morning to those of you who are part of church family with us, um, specifically about money and the money within church here. Um, why talk about money? That's always a good question. I remember sitting at Alpha one Sunday, uh, one evening, a couple of years back now, and there was this young woman who was really curious about coming to church. Um, she lived with her dad, her and her dad, and uh, we just got talking about, um, about church, and she said, oh, my dad will never come, never, because all you ever do is bang on about money. And I thought, gosh, I think we hardly ever talk about money. Um, but I was just talking to her just about why we, why we do sometimes need to talk about money. Because Jesus did. Outside of talking about the kingdom of God, Jesus spoke about money as much as anything else. So he talked about it a lot. He wasn't embarrassed about it. Mark and I's personal story, God has done as much in our lives through money as he has through anything else. Now, we're, we're getting on a bit now, so we can say that. A life lived, doing the very best we can to honour God with our money. And let me say that when, when we first came to faith, we were both about 35, we had so much more money then, and we're so less happy. We had more anxiety about money when we had more of it than we do now when we have less of it. And there are some principles around how we have just thought about our money that have brought us a freedom that I want to pass on to everybody that I know. Anybody who is interested in how to not be anxious about money, we need to follow what the Bible says. And then as a church, we need to talk about money. Because if we never talked about money, then there wouldn't be a church, bottom line, basically. It's what we do together Remember when we say the church isn't the building and the church isn't Mark and I, the church is us all together. So we come to this with a responsibility. And, and I want you to hear this right up front, that this, this talk I'm going to give isn't pointed at particular people. I've not like got my sights on people. I just want to talk to us very generally and then very specifically about what's going on here. Always, when we talk about money, none of this must be guilt-driven, must make us feel anxious, must make us feel like we're messing up or missing out in any way. I just ask that you hear with ears to hear and allow God to speak to you to your specific situation. And actually, another thing to say up front... I have no idea how much people give. I choose to not know that. It's good for me to not know. Mark occasionally needs to pop in and have a look, but mostly it's with our trustee, treasurer trustee. And we choose to do that. I definitely choose to do that because if I, as I looked around, there's a little like money symbol above everyone's head, it would change how I preached. It would change conversations. So I choose to not know. And I hope that that's reassuring for you that this isn't targeted to any person at all. So when we're thinking about money, I want us to go right back to the beginning of Luke's gospel. You know, sometimes you find things in the Bible. Do you ever do this? It's like you feel like you know this book, and then every now and again you open it and you think, was that always there? Like, I can't believe that was always there. And I've had one of those moments this week. I was like, so I know about John the Baptist. He was the, a little bit crazy guy, very like, passionate, and he lived this unusual life, preparing the way for Jesus. He was preaching and teaching, he was baptizing, and he was saying, but it's not about me, there's one to come. Don't follow me, there's one to come. And we read those stories at the beginning of the Gospels. And he's a great guy. And there's a moment that he begins to speak to the people, and he's challenging them. He's saying, 
guys, you know, there, there's quite a lot of bad stuff going on in the world and going on in your lives, and, and there's a way to be free of it. There's a way to shake it off. There's a way to live a really different, radically different life. And, and this guy's coming, the Messiah, Jesus is coming, and, and it, the key is with him. Look out for him, look out for him. And the people were captivated by what he was saying. And they're saying, what should we do? What should we do then? A really good question. You know, he's got the audience. And they're saying, what should we do? And these are the things that John the Baptist said to the general people. A one-liner. He said, go share your food and clothes. He didn't tell them to go and pray more. He didn't send them to the temple. He said, go and share your food and your clothes. Give stuff away. Be generous. And then the tax collectors, because they know all about money, they said, well, what should we do then? And he said, just don't pocket the extra. Be honest. Give away. Any extra, give away. Just give it away. Be generous. And then the soldiers, so specific. What should we do then? And again, he doesn't come back about you know, how they should do their job or how often they should be in the temple or how often they should read the Bible. None of that stuff. doesn't talk to them about scripture. He says, be content with your pay. So before Jesus has even come, here's John the Baptist telling us some really crucial things about our life and what we should do then. And of course, it's going to dovetail completely into the freedom that Jesus talks about. A lot of what we're looking for in life when we want to know how to do well then, boils down to very practical things around our money and our possessions. Where does that sit in our head? What priority does it have? What are the, the, the filters through which we do life around our money? John the Baptist was bang on. And then, of course, Jesus arrives. He meets Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, the tax collector, hiding up a tree, desperate to see Jesus. He's heard about this man who's changing lives. And they have this conversation and, and Jesus says, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm coming to your house for tea. And, and in this whole conversation, Zacchaeus gets completely saved. He gives his life to Jesus. He, he turns from the direction he was going to a new direction. Zacchaeus's response is, do you know what? What I'm going to do is I'm going to give away Everything that I've made dishonestly, the whole lot's going back, because that's how we made his money. Any place I've been dishonest, I'm going to give it back. That's good, radical. But he goes a step further. He says, and I'm going to give away half of everything I own. Boom. Like, really? And Jesus' response to that is, salvation has come to this house today. Now, we know that salvation is about a whole lot more but this is Jesus' direct response to Zacchaeus saying he's just going to give stuff away. You see, as Jesus came into his heart spiritually, he also came into his wallet practically. Zacchaeus got it on day one. That when we allow God into every bit of our lives, part of that looks like our money. Zacchaeus got the freedom early on. The story of Jesus and the widow, the widow who puts her two coins in, and Jesus said, she, out of her poverty, put in everything. We remember that widow, the widow's mites, two little coins. She leaps off the pages of this book because we, something in our heart responds to that, responds to somebody having a generous spirit out of a place of poverty. And Jesus honors her and we honor her again today. Early church, we're out of the Gospels now. Jesus has died, raised, and the disciples have received the Holy Spirit, and they're just off, planting churches. People are getting saved in their hundreds and thousands. And what do we learn of those new believers? Jesus wasn't just coming into their hearts. He was coming into their pockets, and they sold property. Like, can you imagine? Like, they sold property, not just a couple of their you know, possessions. They sold whole properties and their possessions. So here's this thread running through the Bible of generosity. And then Matthew 6, 19 to 20. Martina did a cracking talk a couple of weeks ago. If you've not heard it, go back. This is part of what she was talking about, but let's read it again. This is Jesus saying, 
Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin don't destroy and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So there's a connection here between what we treasure and where our heart will be. And often we'll say, you know, if you want to know where someone's heart is, look at the credit card bill or your bank balance, and and we can see where our heart is. Our heart is where our money is. Our heart is where our treasure is. And it's not that Jesus is saying earthly treasure is bad. We can sometimes get in this mindset of like, oh, Jesus just wants us all to go around and look just like be really grumpy and, you know, just live a life that's really sad. There's none of that there. He's not saying treasure's bad. He's not saying money's bad. Money in itself is neutral. Martina spoke about that. It's what we do with it that counts. But the point that Jesus is making in that story is that earthly treasure itself can be amazing if, if we do good things with it, but it doesn't last. It's finite. It's in the moment. And, and when we're gone, we're gone. I read a great story recently of... Um, a guy who was over in Egypt, and he'd gone to see the tomb of uh, this young guy who felt called to go to Egypt as a missionary. And he was very wealthy. And whilst he was there, he used up pretty much all of his fortune for the sake of others. He was uh, ministering to the Muslim communities that were around. He was doing good works. He was preaching the gospel. And then at age 25, he got spinal meningitis and died which is just you know, dreadful. And, and the guy had gone to, to see his tombstone. And there it was, and it was, it was a pretty sad little stone. But you see, that guy, what he'd done, had left this huge legacy because he'd not taken anything with him. He'd basically spent it all radically for the sake of the kingdom. Now, the guy that went to visit his tomb that afternoon was taken to one of the pyramids, to King Tut and to an exhibition of all King Tut's stuff. And there was golden carriages and mummified golden masks and golden this and golden that and golden everything that he'd stored in this pyramid because he thought he could take it with him. But of course, it was still there. No legacy. I mean, some pretty things to look at, but what use is that? You see, earthly treasure isn't bad, but it's put in our hands to be useful here and now, because it doesn't last. And the alternative is that we begin to grow a mindset, and it starts in our heart, not our head, that looks to be giving generously to the things that further the kingdom of God. And to know that we will be rewarded when we do. Have you noticed back in this passage Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But, there it is, store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. I just want to highlight that because this is about us being generous and giving away, but notice that it talks about ourselves. Store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. I haven't just added that in like it's, it's here. You see, when we choose to have a shift in how we view money, It is about who we might bless and what we might bless. But there's also this incredible reward for us. I was chatting to Ali earlier, and she said, make sure you tell people how much fun it is, how much freedom there is, what joy there is, that when we begin to make this switch of seeing money as something that belongs to God and not to us, that there is treasure for ourselves that God does something in our hearts that he can only do through money. Hear that. There are things that God wants to do in our hearts that he can only do through money and possessions. And and often it's the thing we're chasing for, the thing we're longing for. I I long for this from God. I long for freedom. I long for... and, and, And he's generous and gracious and merciful But often the core of some of those things rests in him wanting to speak to us about our money. He says, for yourselves there's treasure. Let's have a money conversation. There's personal benefit when we regard money in a different way. 
So how we think about and approach money and possessions is central to our spiritual lives. Like there's this fundamental connection. So honestly, if Mark and I never spoke about money, if we never preached about money, if we pulled it out of our preaching schedule, we would be doing an absolute disservice as pastors, as people who, who love God's people. It's like this whole connection If we don't talk about that, then there's a whole bit of the gospel we're missing. And yes, it sits alongside the other things, but there's this fundamental connection. And we might try and separate our finances from our faith in our head. Well, this is God, and that's what I do on Sunday, but this is Monday morning, and here's my bank balance. We might separate it, but God never does. To God, they're inseparable. He doesn't compartmentalize us. And he wants our heart in every aspect of our lives to be in the best place it can be. And in that, he has some things to talk to us about money. Still with me? Yeah? So God calls us. Jesus demonstrates to us a call to a life of generosity. To be a giver, not a keeper. Maybe if you remember nothing else, just that. As we think about our lives, can I be a giver? and not a keeper. And that sounds really simple, doesn't it? But for some of us, that's a huge, like, tectonic plate shift. Because if we've been brought up in a family where we've been frightened about money, anxious about money, maybe there's been arguments about money, maybe we've been trained that if you don't have a good nest egg somewhere that you'll never make it in life. Maybe money is our security. All of those things that, again, Martina spoke so well about. This has to be a choice that we make. And it's a choice of trust. That despite all that we've ever thought about money, despite all that we've ever been inherited about money from our family and our thought patterns, that there is a different and better way. I came from a family where my dad was completely reckless about money. My mum, therefore, worked really hard. She was one of the first women in the country to have a mortgage in her own name because she didn't trust my dad. She was right not to trust him for 101 reasons. But what that set up in her was an anxiety about money. And I inherited all of that. Lock, stock and barrel. And she taught me to be financially independent. Don't worry about anyone else. And even to the point of, you know, when you're married, just make sure you absolutely have your stuff. And God had to break a lot of things in me. I had to step out in trust, away from some of the the ways I'd always been. And I don't regret one moment of it. Because I have a freedom now that I didn't have. And I'm telling you that story because I know for some of you, you'll be like, yep, that's me. And I want to encourage you to acknowledge what you've inherited from your family that's unhealthy, We can honour our family for that. My mum made a lot of her decisions for for good reason. But she locked me into something that wasn't my spiritual inheritance. Being a giver, not a keeper, needs to be more than simply a good intention. I don't think there's one of us in the room that wouldn't nod at that. Yes, I want to be a giver, not a keeper. We understand generosity and we know it makes us feel good. But actually, for it to be rubber on the road, for us to make progress, we need to make a radical act. We need to start doing some things. I was looking at a survey last week that said that most Christians, people who believe and follow Jesus, believe in generosity, but overestimate what they actually practically do. And that made me think, gosh, maybe I need to check myself here. Like, So here are some principles to help us. How can we begin to live a generous life. For some of you, you're maybe hearing these for the first time, so I'm going to say, take a note. Adopt them, accept them, trust them, test them out. Others of you, maybe you've heard this a hundred times, So what I want to say is, where's God growing you? Because he doesn't stop. It's not like, got that one, move on. Like He continues to grow us. Number one, followers of Jesus believe that everything belongs to God that actually we don't own anything. We don't own this building. We don't own the chairs. They belong to God. You say, well, of course, because it's church, you know. But I don't own my house, and I don't own my furniture, and we don't own our car. It belongs to God. 
And he's very kindly brought those things into our life. But they're not ours. And when we first moved into our house and gave our life to Jesus, we very openly said to him, God, this is your house. Do what you want with it. Now, that's that first step, the first tectonic shift. Because if we've worked hard for stuff, surely it's ours. I've worked hard for that. It all belongs to God. And life can spin in a moment and it could all be gone. And if we can get to that place of believing that everything belongs to God and that he puts it into our hands, there's such a freedom. There's such a freedom. We're not anxious about making this bit bigger because it's his and he looks after his property as he looks after his people. It all belongs to him. And then we're stewards. And we get to decide how much we'll keep and how much we'll give away. He trusts us with that. It's almost like we get to set our own income. Or how much do we need to live on of what he gives us? How much do we need to live on? Mark and I have this conversation all the time. How much do we need to live on? And how can we just best give away the rest? Okay, you might want to save for a holiday. Or it might be one year and God did this to us a couple of years ago. Give away your holiday money. That's probably one of the best summers we had. We're not the owners. We're just looking with God at the best place to invest. Now, it might be that we're investing it into our kids and, of course, all of those things. But can you see how that's a switch round? Rather than, I have this money, let's see how much I can make and a bit of it I will give back to God. It's the absolute upside down of the kingdom. It all belongs to God. And we ask him, Lord, how much do you want us to keep? How much do we need to live on? Because the rest is yours. And then the fun and the joy the next time, and that's what Ali was saying, like, how exciting then that it's like, what do you want to do? Let's go play. What can we do with what's left? There's such fun. Mark and I went through a, a year of um, trying to pay for people's car parks. You can't do that anymore because it's all on a card. The amazing conversations you get into at the car park thing, where we, we'd buy a ticket and we'd give it away. And people like that, they don't know what to do. It's like, why have you done that? Well, because Jesus said it's really good for us to be generous and, and you're the lucky one today. And like, no, I couldn't possibly. They're like, it's two quid. Get over it. No, no, no. It's the clash of the kingdom because people's heads are so not kingdom oriented that when we do these things, it blows a hole in society and the kingdom comes. Try paying for somebody's shopping at Tesco's. I mean, we've almost had fist fights, but not because we want to bless people, but just trying to help people understand generosity's good for us and doing it face to face with somebody, buying people flowers when they don't expect, crazy things. How can we best steward what God's given us? Number two, God wants us to find his joy we did a series uh, 18 months ago about joy. You know, that genuine joy where you look in someone's face and I know that you're pleased to see me and I'm pleased to see you. That joy that comes right up from in here. God wants us to find that joy. And it's found in many places and ultimately found in him, of course. But part of that joy is found in generosity. And if we don't lean in and step in, we'll just miss that whole slice of the pie. And I want to say that's the bit with the cherry on or whatever your bit of delight is, chocolate. There's joy in generosity. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 said, God loves a cheerful giver. You see, we're not to be generous out of grumpy and moody. Like, this is a heart shift. And that word cheerful, I love this. The Greek for cheerful actually means hilarious. God loves giving that is so hilarious, it makes people go, what? What? You're doing what? People said that when we bought this building. We, we're not a rich church. We don't have lots of professional people on massive salaries. And yet, between us, this all happened. And people say, how? We were speechless, except to say, God has moved. It's been miraculous. And often we feel like when I'm feeling cheerful about my money, when I'm feeling cheerful about my possessions, then I'm going to give. But I want to suggest it's another way around. Sometimes we make that decision out of obedience because we trust God. And I promise you the joy will come. 
If we wait to be cheerful, now I'm not saying give out of guilt, don't give because there's an arm up your back, don't give because you think someone's going to disapprove, that's all nonsense and none of that's in the Bible. But if God's nudging you to give and you're thinking, do you know what, I want to step into this, I want more of that joy and freedom, often we're like, we're waiting, when I feel really cheerful about my bank account, then I'll give. No, no, no. Make the decision and the cheerful will come. The step of faith opens us up to the joy. Number three, giving changes us significantly. We talk, don't we, here at the Vineyard, that a life with Jesus isn't just sin management. We're not just trying to go down a tick list and be better people. You go to the gym for that. Our life with Jesus is about an inner transformation. It's about being changed from the inside out. Yes, we may want to moderate some of our behaviours. God may be speaking to us about specific things that he wants us to let go or pick up. But this is way more than simple sin management. This is being changed from the inside out through a dependency on God through Jesus that transforms us into what? Well, into looking more like him. That we are being changed into his likeness. Well, how do we do that? You know, if there's a fast track, we'd all be on it, wouldn't we? We're all just going to sit in, sit in a, a prayer room and, and pray for 24 hours, like, just God, change me. It's some of that, but if it was just that, we'd all be there. You see, true transformation takes time. And true, true transformation is us being open to what God wants to do. And some of what God wants to do is through our money and our possessions. If we really want to be transformed, there's an open-handedness that comes as we gaze on Jesus, as we imagine him hanging there on the cross, knowing that he did that, he took that pain, he chose that way. Remember, nobody forced him to go to the cross. He chose that way because he had you and I in mind that he wanted us to know his freedom. He gave everything so that we could live and have life in all its fullness. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, tries to get hold of it. I mean, that's such an enormous thing. How do we even get hold of it? This gets us some way. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, like what he's done, that though he was rich, he could have snapped his fingers and the whole earth could have just changed like that. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. When we gaze on Jesus, when we comprehend again what he's done for us, it shifts our perspective. It's all about him and not about us. How would we respond that out of our riches... We may just become more like him. Generosity brings freedom. Often when we have money or we feel anxious about money, we just hold it really tight. And I love this picture. That is what ends up being in here. We just hold everything really tight. And what we know of Jesus and what he's doing in people's lives is like, just let it go. Open your hands. Open your heart. Open up your life and let me in. And so with money and with generosity, as we let go of some of our control, it opens us up to God, breaks the power of possessions. So they're just just a little list that I hope will be helpful for you in thinking. When when we're going around our lives and we feel those challenges around generosity, oh yeah, it's the upside-downness of the kingdom. And being generous with God's stuff after we've asked him about what's his, you know, what what do we need to to live life and being stewards of of all of it. It's, It's like generosity is like pulling a lever. It pulls a lever spiritually for us and it puts our heart in the right place. It's like pulling a lever that shifts us. And this is about giving that doesn't benefit us. And it's a vivid reminder that it's all about God, not about us. We're not the point. He is. So how to get started? And I'm going to take a bit of a switch here. Those principles are for our whole life. 
But I want to talk to us this morning about giving in church and church money. Now, forgive me, that is our whole life, right? We don't have two bits of life. This is my church life and this is the rest of my life. Now, you may be new to church and that might be a very new concept to you. Like, isn't church just for Sunday? No, Sunday is when we celebrate everything that God's doing in the week. But I don't know where you are on that journey. But I want to just talk to you about giving in church. And, you know, with relay rayers, you're waiting for the baton. If you're here and you're part of our story, or you're beginning to be part of our story, wait, the baton's coming. I guess that's, that's a picture for us. So let's start where the Bible begins. So in Malachi 3, it's the last book of the Old Testament. It's tucked in there. You'd have to find it in your index. It's a tiny little book. But it talks about giving. And Malachi's a prophet, and he's talking to the people who are waiting for the Messiah about giving. And we'll notice here that actually they've got it a bit wrong. So he's addressing some issues. So it's going to be pretty, ooh, okay, but be ready. So here's Malachi, and he says, Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I won't throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I'll prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in the field will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord. What Malachi is doing there is setting out some really fundamental principles around giving. And he calls it tithing. And a tithe is a 10%. It's a 10% of the income that we have. And, and what he's saying is, put aside that for God. Put that aside for God. And it's like tithing is like our trainer wheels. It's like Try this for starters. Get on your training bike. I don't know if they even still use these training wheels, but here's a way to get started. A place to work towards. Something to have in mind. Now, I don't... 10% for each of us will be very different because we all have very different incomes. And some of you might be sitting there thinking, 10%? You're doing the mental math. You're like, flip. That's like huge. But what the Bible's doing is it's, it's giving us a really good principle you might not be anywhere near this, but you see, it's having something to aim for. It's a place to move towards. When Mark and I first came to faith, this is probably like scared the pants off us. Except we trust what this book says. And if God says this is a good idea and that he's for us, why wouldn't we test him in this? Because that's his invitation. Try out the trainer wheels. Get started. It'll be a little wobbly at first and we might fall off a few times, but let's get started. It's God's way of getting us on the right path. And what committing to tithing and the tithing principle does is it launches us into a lifetime of generosity. That's the conversation Ali and had this, I had this morning. What I learned back then sets me in good stead now. Somebody else this morning said, I learned to tithe when I was a single mum that had nothing. And God spoke to me about tithing out of a tiny amount and I'm now not in that place. And I'm so glad I learned it then when it's hard because it's much harder, to, it would have been harder to start now. And you might say, that's just the Old Testament. Jesus came and he did away with all of that. It's all about grace. Well, Matthew 23, 23 is really interesting. Because here's Jesus saying, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mill, dint, cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Jesus is moving from the law to grace. He's saying, this isn't just a legalistic thing. There's, there's grace in this. But, but he assumes that we will tithe. So is tithing for now? Yes. Yes, it's not old and outdated. The Old Testament law says a tenth of our income. Proverbs 3, 
part of the law says our first fruits. The New Testament assumes we will tithe. And actually, if we think about Jesus, he goes way further. He says, give everything. Give it all. Don't hang back. Give everything. And tithing begins with the local church, into that local storehouse, that local place where, where you are connected with the mission and ministry of Jesus. Begins there. So what does tithing look like? Well, it looks like a tenth of what we have. And here are our apples. My strong encouragement to you is to just go home and do the maths. What does that mean in your life? And what might it take for you to move to that place? What's God saying to you? Again, there's no guilt here. There's no manipulation. It's between you and God. I won't ever know. But what might he be inviting you into? And then I just want to say a little bit more about this. You see, often at that slide, we're like, oh, I need to work that out, and I'm not sure, but I believe the Bible, and maybe that's something I can move towards. We believe that generosity is a good thing, but there appears to be an issue in the Malachi text because they're not quite doing it. I think they'd all say, oh, yes, yes, tithing's good. But here, will, will we rob God? What's that then? Because we don't want to feel like we're robbing God. That feels like heavy language. Well, I've thought a lot about this over the years. And I think what happens is we, we decide we're going to give to God. We're going to give to God through the local church. We've made that commitment. And I know many of you here do. Fantastic. But unless we plan to do that, that little apple is the last one we give. Because the other nine are all accounted for. it. And if there's, if there's anything left at the end of the month, we'll give the last apple. God can have that one. But what happens is, like, the car breaks down. That's a little bite out of the apple. And then if, like, Mark recently, you have to go to the dentist. And then it's your friend's birthday. And then there's a thing at school that you feel you need to give to. And what happens is we end up giving God just the pips and the stalk. We never intended to do that because our heart is for generosity. And we believe the Bible when, when it says that bringing our bit into the storehouse, into what God's doing here is really important but so often other things can just nibble away. And we've all been there. There's, again, there's no guilt in that. It's just having, like, realistically, what might this look like? Well, it's about being planned. It's about being planned to set aside that money right up front, to agree with God what that might be, you and him together, and just set that aside. And trust him for the rest. Because his promise is, that as we do it this way round, he will not let us go without what we need. And maybe you're already doing that. Well, I said, and the Bible is showing us that tithing is just like a trainer wheels. Take the trainer wheels off, you know, pop some more in or some more or some more. And some of you might be like, no way. I know there are people here who give above and beyond their tithe. It's a powerful thing. Now, God's encouragement, because you might be holding tight onto your chair like, seriously, is this for me? God's encouragement, straight out of Malachi, verse 10. Test me in this, says the Lord. It's the only time we really get called to test God in this, around money. Test me, he says, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing there will not be enough room to store it. Test me in this. Remember, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each of you should give in your heart what you've decided to give, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things and at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. Here's the promise and the blessing, and he's calling us to a step of faith. God's promise that he will protect us. I'll prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in the field will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord. And we read in Luke, maybe we're nowhere near this, but even when we're a long way off, God is inviting us into something. So I want to invite each of us to think about what our next steps might be this morning. Maybe you've never thought about giving to church, never thought about bringing something to help the ministry here. Why not make a start? 
jump in. Maybe you do give regularly. Or maybe you give irregularly, but you could start to, start to give regularly. Regular giving really helps us. It means we can plan ahead. It means we can project forward. We can plan ministry and all sorts of things. And the stewardship forms on your chair are to help you do that. That's the organization that we use. It's so flexible. You can notch your amount up and down each month, but would you consider giving regularly? And maybe you want to commit to a tithe, to the 10%, even if you're not there yet, that that's something you would work towards. We need to jump together, guys, right now. We need to jump together for some really good reasons. 2023, this current year, our income is 200,000 pounds. That's good, yeah? Last year, the year to 2022, it was 196. And projected forward is 214. So can you see how that graph's going? It's great. The church is growing and giving is increasing. So we have so much to be thankful for. Look around. The room every Sunday is that little bit fuller. And we're so grateful to God for that. However, our income is currently less than our expenditure. Now, don't freak out. It's a managed thing that we manage over the many years of the church. But we're in a place coming out of the pandemic. You know what that's been like. And really, financially, for many churches, just a tough time. We also planted a church during the pandemic. We love it, but they took their giving with them. That's never lost giving. That's kingdom giving. God just replants it somewhere else. And he always fills the gap, but that's partly why our income is less than our expenditure. We've moved here, and we've now had a full year of what this looks like. Do you know our electricity bill has gone from 5,000 to 15,000? Like all yours has, I know. So we're just in a moment where if we all jump together, we can put ourselves in a really good and better place as we look forward. Now, Mark and I are confident that giving will continue to increase because people are coming to church. But if we all do this together, if we all jump together right now, then it will just set us up really well as we move into next year. We've got healthy reserves, 75,000 pounds, that are sitting there untouched, and we don't want to touch them. It's our rainy day money. But if we all jump together, it won't be a rainy day. And we've had a really healthy buffer that's helped us with cash flow over the pandemic and over the church plant and over our move. However, that buffer isn't as fat as it was. It's not gone, but it's not as fat as it was. And we don't want to have to dip into the reserves. So this year, more than ever, we'd love to see income increase, that we would all jump together, rather than it being in dribs and drabs, that we would all jump together. We don't want to just maintain where we are and we'd be backfilling all the time. We have so much that we want to reach for and stretch for, but it's hard to plan when we're not sure what's coming in. But we could all jump together. Some thoughts. Are you somebody that could help us boost our buffer? That little slush fund we have, that as income goes wibbly-wobbly and up and down, that we just know we've got a really solid, usable buffer. If five people here this morning gave £6,000, we'd have £30,000, just like that. If 10 people did that, we'd have £60,000. I mean, this is extraordinary. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're somebody that's in a, a position this morning to give us a one-off gift. Maybe that's not you. But maybe this morning you could choose to give to help us grow. And I've purposely put that young guy on the picture because as we learn this as young adults, we step into a whole life of freedom around money. But it may be for some of you, maybe you, you aren't in planned giving and you could do that. Or maybe you are in planned giving and you could just raise or review what you're giving. And I know some of you might review your giving and give it down. 
I understand that. If 100 people each gave an extra £25 a month, that would be £30,000, that same £30,000. But every year, not just as a one-off, but a yearly amount. It gives us the option to plan for the future. And there'll be some people here that there's no way they could give £25, but there are others here that maybe could give 30 or 35 And if those 100 people give £25 a month and they're taxpayers, and we are diligent with our gift aid, we get an extra £7,500 for free just for being a church because the government respects what we do in our community. So you might want to help us boost the buffer. You might want to give to grow. Or maybe you want to test drive tithing. If 200 people tithed on the average income of UK people, which is £34,000, it would be six. £180,000. 200 people, that's about what we are. Now, I know that not everyone in this congregation is on an average salary, so maybe that's an unrealistic goal. But if 100 people did it, that would be £340,000. That doubles our income and a bit. What about if 200 people who were on minimum wage, minimum wage works out at about £18,000 a year, Maybe you're sitting here and you're on minimum wage. If 200 people tithed 10% of their £18,000 income, that would be an extra £360,000. Can you see how little amounts make a huge difference? I really believe, and as Mark and I have prayed about this, and we really have over the last month, We've talked with our trustees who are amazing. We value them and honour them. We really feel God is just asking us to ask you if we can all jump together. Understanding that for some of you that might just be impossible right now, but maybe you'd make a decision for the future. But for those of you who feel you can go and review your finances and your giving, there is no limit to what God can do here. We're all excited that church is growing, but it needs to grow in our finances too. I want to say thank you to all of those of you who do give. Many of you will have received a letter from us in this last month, and we hope that that came to you with the the depth of our gratitude, because without giving, none of this will be here. We wouldn't be doing any of this. If you didn't get a letter... It's because your gift is anonymous into stewardship and into the bank account. That's fine. If you want a letter and you're anonymous, let us know who you are. We'd love to thank you. Can we flex some spiritual muscles together? Can we dream for the future? Can we boost the buffer, give to grow, test the tithe? The move to the max was um, giving above and beyond. If you've got an inheritance due, 10% of that. My father-in-law recently died, and uh, there was some jewellery left, so we didn't want it, it wasn't sentimental, we sold it. Instantly, 10% came to the church. It's just what we do, every time. We don't even think about it now. It just comes. Move to the max. Can we all jump together? Do you want to see the video? I looked for a video that showed 200 people all jumping rope together, and I couldn't find one. (laughs) I'm really sorry. But this one is really inspiring. This is a Guinness Book of Records, and it's the Team Skipping Championship. And just look at the concentration and each person playing their part and the absolute joy when they nail it. I believe this is a picture for us, around us all jumping together. We're jumping for joy for what God's doing here. There's so many amazing stories to tell. We need to jump with our finances too. Enjoy the skipping.
wonderful, isn't it? Just wonderful. Did you notice that little line, each successful skip adds to the total? Somebody texted us this morning, emailed us, and I don't want to say who they are, um, but it was such a godly-timed email. It said, I just want you to know, even though my work circumstances have changed, I am committing to continue to tithe. And I just felt that was God's encouragement to us. They could have sent that email on any, any day, and it came this morning. Can we jump together? It's for our sake, but it's also for the sake of those that don't yet know Jesus. And they're coming. They're coming, and that's what we're here for. I'm sorry I've gone on a bit. Would you forgive me? I hope you hear my heart, our heart. You can ask us anything. Nothing's hidden. But we just commend to you the Lord's work here through our money. It doesn't come from anywhere else. Let's stand. I'm going to pray quickly, release you to go and get your kids. And then if people want specific ministry, we can still do that. So... And keep your eye on Vineyard News because we'll send links to this talk like we always do. But we'll mention this and uh, the links on our website for, for giving and reviewing. So thank you so much for listening today. Sometimes people ask us, what's our week been? What are we going through? And, and sometimes we do have those stresses about the church finances and, and moving ahead and being able to continue to do all the things uh, that we want to do. And we don't always bleed those out over people week by week, but we just have had a, a period of review where we felt this is so important to bring to us together for two reasons. One, it's very biblical. It's part of our life with Jesus together. We would be remiss to avoid it. But two, we really need to have our church on a good footing uh, going forward so that we don't have to cut things, so we don't have to hold back, so that we can fully fulfill Jesus's plan for each and every one of us personally and us together as church where we are located. Let's pray.